Hi there, Catsuit. Hi there, Nookie. Wait, I wasn't expecting you right now. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to stop by and tell everyone about our event coming up Valentine's weekend. You mean the three-day education and social event focusing in on dating and relationships for kinky folks called the Kinky Dating Something Something and Love Blah 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 event? We've got great speakers lined up, including me. Yeah, also Lexi Silver, Zach Budd, Unruly Nerd Girl, and I'll even be presenting a four-hour workshop. Don't worry, it's in two parts about how to defuckify your dating and create a profile and a life that weeds out what you don't want and attracts what you do. Registration is open now. And the first 500 people get in free, so don't hesitate. Get registered at datingkinky.com slash dating dash love dash event. It's a great opportunity to learn from the people you love about the people you hope to love. I know it's on my Valentine's Day calendar. Chocolates are optional. The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. It's kinky done differently. women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun conversation about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy. With questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want a look into the beginning of traditional and non-traditional relationships from first impression to the messaging that finally wins people over. I'm John, known to many as Hi There Catsuit, and welcome to 2021. Thank God 2020 is over. That year taught so much to us about so many ways we act as humans. And I hope the lessons of that difficult year can guide us to be better people this year as we hope to get back to experiencing joy soon. At least, that's the hope. If this is your first time listening, welcome! And we hope you will check out some of the episodes in the archives with interviews with amazing women and other wonderful humans from across this crazy place we call life. And we start 2021 with a best-selling author who has unlocked the secrets of a gender in a way never imagined. Cleo Stiller is a Peabody and Emmy Award-nominated journalist, author, television host, and speaker. Her new book for Simon & Schuster titled Modern Manhood, Conversations About the Complicated World of Being a Good Man Today, is a number one new release on Amazon and has been featured in Rolling Stone, Mother Jones, PBS, ABC News, and more. Her television show, Sex Right Now, takes a no-stigma, no-judgment, and fact-based approach to conversations about health, gender, and pop culture, for which her team received multiple award nominations. Stiller is an Emmy Award judge for news and documentary, and her work is widely covered by Fortune Magazine, The New York Times, and more. Let's talk modern manhood and many other things for all humans as we discover what Cleo Stiller thinks and wants. 
It's the first five. Cleo, we always start with our first five, five questions about firsts. And the first of the first five that I have for you, when was the first time you realized you were an inquisitive person? Oh, gosh, what a good question. Um, when I was in kindergarten, uh, my teacher called me precocious. And I had to go home and ask my parents what that meant. And there was like, a, I remember there was a debate between my parents, whether that was a compliment or not. Um, and I, you know, I'm from, I was born in New York City, but I was mostly raised in a very small rural uh, farm town in upstate New York. And um, I was weird, like compared to the predominant culture there. So I was curious, I stood out, uh, like there was no missing that. I knew very early on. First time anyone ever approached you as Cleo the talent or celebrity instead of Cleo the human? Um, I love this question too, because this happens to me to this day where people, I have it, oh my God, what are you doing? I just picked up a foster kitten and she is wreaking <laughs> havoc. And so uh, so I can explain to our, our listeners who aren't viewers is the cat knocked down every copy of Cleo's book and it was beautiful. <laughs> I had placed them very carefully just for you and she knocked down each one. Okay. Um, so to this day, people will come up to me and they'll say, are you Cleo? And I'm like, yeah. Did we, where did you go to, where did you go to high school? Like I start doing the, like, are you from New York? Are you from upstate New York? And they're like, oh, I watched your show. I like, I love that show. And I'm like, oh, right. So once I was with my mom and she was like, Cleo, you have a television show. That's why people are stopping me. And I was like, of course. Yes. Um, so, but it never, you, you know, like you forget because it's just, my life. So, yeah. First time you ever received an inappropriate message after you started hosting a show about sex? Immediately. Immediately. And your reaction to it? Uh, expected at first. And then I will say, <clears throat> For someone who hosted a television show called Sex Right Now with Cleo Stiller, I do not get as many as you would think. And so now when I do get something inappropriate, I actually, I really am offended because it happens so rarely. Um, and I think that that's, very, I don't know why that is. I honestly can't say, but I will say what I get is, is people really come to me genuinely vulnerable um and you can tell and it, sometimes it might feel to me like well this is like a little bit too much but i can tell they're they're wanting help you know they're coming from like a vulnerable general um this is not like a dick pic so yeah i was about to ask the next first question which is a <laughs> tradition on this particular show first time you ever received a dick pic and your reaction to it um, yeah, Snapchat, gotta be Snapchat. There was, so 
I sort of like, you know, started to rise among, in, in 2014. And between 2014 and 2017, maybe, it was just such a crazy time for media. It went from like the YouTube was king to then no one, YouTube is uh, overexposed and then everyone was doing um, Facebook slide stream videos and that was not right. So then we got on Snapchat, then it was Snapchat Discover. So like I, and I had to be on every single platform. So I remember joining Snapchat and then I got my first dick pic mm. and I thought, hmm. I don't know if that was a flattering angle for that one. I would not have said that. Um, okay. Yeah. So Snapchat era. And then wait, sorry, one more, my favorite. Um, I do not recommend this. I mean, to anyone listening, this is not an acceptable behavior, but my, like what I find most entertaining is when people airdrop obscene photos, which oh, is like a my. thing. So, yeah, when I'm in New York on the subway, I've had people airdrop dick pics to me on like in the car with me. And then you look up, you're looking and you're trying to figure out who's the creepy motherfucker that did that. Wow. Yeah. First time a man truly surprised you with a message. With it being something other than you expected it to be. Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I was very tender hearted in college. And um, I went when I was quite young, and I dated someone who was, you know, like mainstream, desirable, but emotionally unavailable. Mm. And so he was quite rough with my heart. And I remember one of the few times he was ever tender with me. And he said, I fucking love you. <laughs> 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 and um, maybe I, that's like, that's at least the first time I can remember. I was like, what? Um, yeah. That's beautiful. I yeah. really like that. Mm, I fucking love you. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. This is what women and other wonderful humans want. Presented by Dating Kinky. 
Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. It's kinky done differently. Modern manhood is a subject that I probably could have considered reading about or hearing about for years because I am famous or notorious for saying in the battle of the sexes, I can't cheer for my own side. Mm, mm, mm. I have had so many women friends who have been treated badly, had inappropriate messages. And this is before I actually started being active in the kink community. I'm talking roller derby. Yeah, yeah. You see that a lot in there or just people treating others as they do. When did you decide that you, Cleo, was going to find out why men are the way they are? Um, great question. I never would have, except I was hosting the show for Fusion, Univision, and 2017 happened. Um, the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke. Me Too movement, you know, I think most people who listen to this will know it was started originally by Tarana Burke uh, many years prior to draw attention to the sexual abuse of brown and black women. But what the mainstream thinks is the onset of Me Too was when Alyssa Manolano hashtagged a story me too and then an outpouring of stories from women and survivors um and during that time you know in the aftermath of that uh what had started as a you know stories about abuse of power in the workplace by very powerful men uh the ripple effect was touching every area of our lives and i started having men who watched my show writing into me saying are you going to do a season on this? Because I have so much to say about what's happening right now, but I'm kind of afraid to say anything because I don't want to get in trouble. And then they would ask me a question. And these questions ran the gamut of, you know, uh, single men being like, I'm, I'm single and I'm terrified to approach women. I don't, I feel like everything I was taught to do is now considered creepy or uh, bosses contacting me and being like, listen, I don't want to go on the record with this, but I'll say when this whole thing started, I was in favor of it, but now I just feel like it's gone too far. And to be honest, I've got a lot of hiring power and I ain't going to hire female employees. Mm. And I'm sure as heck not going to mentor my existing female staff. It's just not worth the risk. And that is like, you know, to hear that is, it's and then disturbing. Oh, it's truly disturbing. And you know that they're not lying, right? So I, prior to Univision, I worked at Bloomberg. So I had a lot of Wall Street connections. And these were coming from VPs at, you know, massive teams reporting into them. So to, to say that, I know if they're saying that, that, you know, that's probably happening in the restaurant industry. It's probably, ha- you know, it's like all over. Um, and then I had uh, men writing into me being like, I'm a... I'm going to be a first time dad. And I just found out I'm having a son and I'm petrified. I don't even know what it means to raise a good man anymore. Like what the hell is going on? And so all of these questions are flooding my inbox and I'm like, Oh man, hell if I know, right. I'm, I'm just a television host. Um, 
And so around that time, Simon and Schuster came to me about doing a book deal for them. And I'll be totally honest, I pitched them on three ideas. And this one was the last one because I just thought this is going to be such a mother of a project and like such a, um, a landmine, you know, I thought men are going to attack me and like, I'm going to get it from women as well. And it's going to just be explosive. Um, and of course they were like that one and we need it this year. So, uh, that was it. I, to be quite frank, like the book was almost already written because men had come out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. to talk about this already. It was just waiting in my inbox. Were any of those men and I will say I totally resemble this remark. Were any of those men, men that were angry at other men for putting them in a position that they're always having to defend themselves or always having to walk on eggshells that are genuinely good people, and we'll talk about the difference between good, nice, and kind a little bit later, mm-hmm. but are genuinely good people and can't get anyone to trust them because women have become so angry mm. in many cases. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed nearly 100 men ranging from ages 18 to 62 from South Central LA to rural North Carolina and like, and everywhere in between. Um, So I have some of everyone in the book. I will say the prevailing feeling was not that, Was, was a feeling of, they feel under attack. And um, that, all right, I, this is hilarious. Like, okay, so all my executives on my television show will never let me do live television because I can never say an idiom correctly. And yet I always insist on saying them (laughs) and I need to say one right now. So I apologize to the audience if I butcher this. I wanna say the feeling was that you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, I think that's an accurate statement, right? So it like, is accurate. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. That was the overarching statement. There were certainly men who were like, other men have fucked, you know, us for like the, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. And we have so much work to do in repair. Um, but I didn't hear as much of that, honestly, as I would have liked. It's really 50 shades of gray area. I had to bring in Dating Kinky together (laughs) with what you've been talking about. Clever, clever, yes. There is no right or wrong, black or white, when it comes to people approaching each other. But one of the reasons why I started the show, Cleo, was to allow women to share the stories of the messaging that they get, including the unsolicited dick pics, which actually really inspired this because they were I wrote an article about that and the response to it was so hilarious that I said yeah. hmm what if I did a whole show going well we don't know what women want what do women really want and that's why this show started oh i love it so i i tell you that because i think a lot of people assume that men know what women want But the messaging is so mixed that sometimes it gets all mixed up and never gets through properly. If you were to have a toolbox 
and I'm asking you to speak for Clio here. Yeah. If you were to have a toolbox for a proper way to message a woman, what would be inside that? I love this question. Um, I am not a gender essentialist. And what I learned from interviewing, you know, so many women and men and non-binary people is that, you know, newsflash, there is no, you know, universal female experience. Mm -hmm. And so you really get into trouble if you try and offer maximalist advice like that. One thing I do is when I lead corporate workshops about this book, I open first by asking this one question every time. I say, and it's mixed group, women and men. I say, raise your hand if you like being complimented on your physical appearance at work. 50% raises their hand, women and men. Mm -hmm. Then I say, okay, now raise your hand if you are uncomfortable being complimented on your appearance at work. And then the other 50% raises their hand. And I do that to show people, this is exactly why you know, it's so frustrating for some right now because they're like, I just, what are the new rules? Just tell me what the new rules. Mm -hmm. And there aren't any because what works for one woman is not going to work for another, work for one man, not going to work for another. But so this idea of like, what for a toolkit of like, what do women want? I turn that around and I would say, what do you want? What do you want? Because what I hear in interviews um, from men is a feeling of frustration. Because like I said, they'll go on a date with one woman and behave a certain way. And that will piss her off. Because, or, Well, I'll just use a concrete example. I could not believe how often this came up. But it did enough so that the dating chapter tackles the issue of who should pay for dates. Mm. I mean, in 2019, that this is what we had to talk about. But it was so... Um, such a great illustration of the tension we have. So men would say, what the hell is going on? I don't even know. It's like, I thought all things were equal. So then I don't, you know, I say, I, we go Dutch. Mm -hmm. And then the woman is totally offended. So then on the next date with another person, then I pay. And then she's totally offended. So like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Just tell me what to do. And then I say to them, do you want to pay? And it's like mind blowing that actually you have so much more power in this than you think. Do you want to pay? If you do, and it would be very understandable because a lot of us are raised to do that. You know, you can then say, oh my God, shocker to your date, communicate. Listen, I know this is a little bit of a fraught topic these days, but I was raised to pay and it makes me feel really good to treat you. So may I treat you tonight? And I think you're very hard pressed to find someone who's going to say, fuck off. I can pay for myself. And should you find that person? I would say probably not a good match for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then say you're on the other side of this for, with guys. Cause I heard from plenty of guys that were like, I think this whole thing is screwed up. You know, if we're going all things equal on this, I think we should go Dutch. Okay, fine. Just say that. You know, mm -hmm. and I also heard um, 
from a guy, I thought this was very interesting, that he felt um, he knew, knows about the pay wage gap. And so he would like to pay for the first three dates, but then after that would go Dutch. And so he had thought about it enough. That was his deal. Wow. That's really cool. Right? So then he would say that. I was like, ooh, it's, I love this. You've obviously thought a lot about it, but it's like a complicated equation. Do you say it? And he's like, of course I say it. Mm-hmm. And then, and he said, one woman thought that that was just like complete mumbo jumbo. And he was like, but I would never, you know, I would never work with a woman who didn't appreciate that I had put that thought into it. One of the reasons that this show is called What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want is I yeah. did want to incorporate everything, but most of or the majority of my guests are women who are looking to establish connection in whatever way they can. Yes. And that's made it very fascinating. The open to my show says with questions asked by a guy, you wrote a book with questions asked by a gal. We're a perfect duo. I know you got some pushback on that. Yes. Was it mostly from men or mostly from women? Great. Well, I I actually never say in interviews, great question, but I really like all of these questions. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So like I said, I I had so much anxiety before this book was released because I thought I'm going to get it from all my, you know, the feminists who, who have followed my work for a decade. And then I am just going to get nailed, like probably doxxed by some men's rights activist group. And actually the truth is neither of that happened. So um, I have gotten a little bit of negative feedback from men about why a woman has written a book with this title, but those men have not read the book. And um, the biggest instance of that was when, so I have a chapter on work, and LinkedIn excerpted the work chapter, um, which obviously exposed it to millions of people. Mm-hmm. And that's when it kind of it was like, whoa, um, actually quite wild to be honest, because you know, if you comment on something from LinkedIn, it's linked to your LinkedIn profile. So then it's like George from Houston, Texas saying some kind of awful things on the thread. And I'm like, you know that we can all tell the oil company that you work for now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was that was the most, you know, like harsh it ever got. But for many of those people, I went in and individually answered the comments. And I said, I would love you to read the book. And if you still feel that way, well, either way, just reach out. And you know, I don't know how many of those comments I left, but four people actually took me up on it and they read it and they said, this is so different, you know, than what I thought. Um, So I haven't heard from a single person. There is one Goodreads comment. Actually, I'm lying. There's one Goodreads comment that's a little bit negative, but otherwise, otherwise, it's been a really remarkable um, positive. And when people feel like they're listened to, because you responded to them, you're always going to get a great fan. It's so, it's so true. You know, it's so interesting you say that because one of the most surprising um, observations I had from the interviews with men was just 
on a large scale, how unheard and misunderstood men feel. Um, and that was surprising to me because I've reported on women's health for a decade and we know that the prevailing narrative is that our current culture as it's set up hurts women mm. and men are fine. And then when I started talking really intimately to men, the amount of pain and, and feeling like um, the weight of their world is on their shoulders and they have no one to lean on and they can't even talk about it. Um, it's very, very, very sad. And so I agree. I agree. Even to just on the internet, just a stranger on the internet to show that you're listening and not judging can be very moving. This leads perfectly into one of the two absolute things I wanted to get into as far as the book is concerned. One is the difference between good and bad. Mm. And then I'm also going to throw two words in there nice and kind. Mm, mm. Being a nice guy mm. takes a negative tone with many women and with many humans. Being a kind person does not. Being a good person can sometimes be negative. Being a bad person sometimes makes you really hot. <laughs> How do you figure out your way through this maze? And how did the men that you interviewed figure out a way through this maze? So I would say that this is, is something I did not foresee, that there is a, a real feeling among men that being a quote unquote nice guy is going to put you in last. What is that? I think, is that like a Green Day song? No, actually it was a manager named Leo DeRocher way back in the 1950s and 60s who said, nice guys finish last. Really? That's where that comes from? Mm -hmm. That was way before your time. Of a baseball team? <laughs> manager of a baseball team. Leo DeRocher was his name. Leo. Wow. Oh my God. Well, so I have, I spoke to men who were like, I don't care what you tell me. I know because, and then like, they'd say a story like this. I know because I, when I was in high school, I was a nice guy. I had sisters. I respected women and women walked all over me. And then when I got to college, older guys pulled me aside and told me, don't act nice. Start, you know, start like um, poking fun at her outfit or, you know, teasing her um, or not calling her back mm. and she'll like it. And then the, and the guy will say, and then immediately all I started getting women. And so to them, that's proof of concept. And there's no, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what many women say. They just say like when the rubber hits the road, <laughs> when the rubber hits the road, that's how it is. Women do not like nice men. Um, I, again, feel that that is men giving away too much power outside of themselves 
And what I always come back to is what do you want? How do you want to show up in the world? Do you want to be the guy that doesn't call back, that pretends he doesn't see text messages just to be cool so that you will maybe appeal to a woman who likes it when you don't treat her well? Like, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. This and this dynamic also, I mean, I say it to women as well because I interview plenty of women who, who, who will confirm this. Like they don't want someone that's too gentle, too sweet, too vulnerable. This is how we get into these terrible situations. And it's it's no question, um, you know, to bring up the Aziz Ansari story, which uh, acts as the sort of like um, structure for the chapter I wrote about sex. Um, there were some people who felt like uh, the Aziz Ansari story, the high points of which is just, uh, a girl goes back to Aziz's place she says, I just want to watch a movie. He's like, yeah, 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 all good. They go, they start watching a movie. He makes a move. She says, no, he, he stops for a minute, goes back again. She says, no, listen, should I just go? He's like, no, it's okay. He makes another move and she relents um, and they have oral sex. Then she leaves, uh, this is according to her, although he's confirmed that that's pretty much how it went. Mm -hmm. um, she leaves uh, and gets into an Uber. He texts her and say, hey, thank you so much for the nice time. And she writes back, listen, I think you need to know just so you don't do this again. Um, this was terrible for me. Uh, and she's crying in an Uber. And now what happened after that became its own thing. But the, the interaction in and of itself is very common. And a lot of people can, unfortunately can relate to this. And so you know, I asked people, um, well, how did you feel about when you heard that story? And some, it didn't fall, like, it was kind of like a war shock test, to be honest. How you felt mm -hmm. about that was indicative about how you felt about the Me Too movement in general. And it didn't fall along gendered lines. It wasn't like the men all, you know, sided with disease. I heard men who said, I thought that that was terrible. And I know that that's true and that's real because I have, my wife told me that that happened to her. My mother, when I was growing up, told me, don't do that. Um, and then I talked to some women who were like, are you kidding me? That's every day I had in my twenties. Like that's not a me too thing. That happens all the time. And my argument was we can and should do better than that just because it's so common doesn't mean that it's okay. But where we also get to land the plane back to your, you know, your question, um, this idea of like a nice guy, a good guy that they get walked over, if that is what you believe, because that's your experience, I encourage you, and, and if you're a woman listening to this and you know you've kind of got a thing for bad guys, I'm telling you right now that you are participating in a fucked up cycle and we can't have that, okay? It cannot be, it should not be for future generations that people are leaving in Ubers crying, right? So if this is something that you like, you really need to think about why do I like this, right? Mm -hmm. What is it about this that I like? Um, and adjust your damn behavior. Do you see a, an actual divide 
between nice and kind? And if so, what is the difference in your eyes? I have, I have to turn, do you ask everyone this? No, this is a, a question that came to me from actually hearing some of your interviews and seeing the kinds of stories that were told and the feedback that I've gotten from people. And also, and I will speak very, I'll be very vulnerable at this point. Yes. I have always said that I am one of the nicest people you are ever you will ever meet because I genuinely care about so many people. Recently, I've stopped saying that because it is such a negative with people because nice people want something from you. Kind people do things because they want to do them. I have always believed that I fall on that side. However, I have also been disappointed at times when I say, I will do this for you. I would really appreciate it if you did this for me. And it's just blown off. And so I will get my feelings hurt in that way. But I believe myself to be a very kind and kind-hearted person. And the woman that's closest to me that I call my queen says constantly, John, I don't know why nobody wants to be with a person as kind and as beautiful hearted as you. It makes no fucking sense. Mm. That's mm. why I asked you the question. Mm. Mm. I think, um, I'm thinking, I, I don't deal with this in the book at, at all, but if you pressed me on it, why would someone want to be with someone who didn't treat them well? I just an armchair therapist observation, my guess would be that they believe that they shouldn't be treated well. And to that, I would say to you or anyone else, that's not someone that you should be with then. And this, this did come up in the book a lot. And I think it's Men in general are raised um, with much more of a numbers game mentality. Mm. Um, a, like a quantity is better than quality. Mm. And I see that I think in subtle ways where with all these questions of like, should I do it this way or should I do it that way? Should I do it this way or should I do it that way? And again, turning it back to what do you want to do? And then trusting that when you do what you want to do, you will attract the person that you should be with. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you're acting in a kind way and that doesn't work for someone, I think you probably dodged a bullet there, mm. to be quite frank. Um, and when I think about the difference between nice and kind, um, I think I actually, I participated in a conference a couple months ago called the Kindness Conference. 
and we talked about this, um, Houston Craft wrote a book called Kindness. It just came out last month. And um, he draws a distinction between nice and kind, just how you did. I like this distinction, but I'm also a reporter who has like a, a national news show. And so I can say that the distinction there is not well understood by the masses. So I just would caution that you, when you talk about it, you have to be very clear about what you mean because mm -hmm. most people have no idea what you're talking about. But you're right that I think kindness comes from the core and radiates out. Whereas nice, I don't, I don't actually think that this is like what the words mean, but it sort of, it's, it feels like what they've come to mean. Mm -hmm. that, and then a nice guy is doing something nice in order to get something back. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's like, if you're really studying the concepts that you could say that, but I will say having participated in the kindness conference, mm -hmm. I remember thinking I would have to explain this on my show or I would have to explain this on my book. Like this isn't, I don't think you just like walk up to an average person and they're like, oh yeah, there's a real distinction, a quality of character there. I am amazed at all the podcasts and shows that you have done, which is why I'm really honored that you're doing mine. But one podcast that I'm wondering if you've been on, and if you haven't, why you haven't, would be one with Brene Brown, mm. the queen of vulnerability and courage. Mm. Because it seems to me that the two of you have so much in common in the way you think, because her original research was about shame. Right. Yep. And I think there's a lot of that shame that goes into what men believe are be, what is projected onto them versus what really is. Yep. So yep. Brene, if you're listening, give Cleo a call. I was just going to say, you got any connections? Actually, you were just reminding me. I should reach out to my publisher. We did get some good news. Can I brag for a second? Please. Yes. So the book was just mentioned this week um, in Harvard's uh, Neiman Foundation School of Journalism um, as like, you know, the work was mentioned in trends for, to look towards for 2021. Fantastic. So, yeah, I'm just like, I'm over the moon right now. But maybe I'll email the publisher and be like, let's make a play for Brene Brown. She's wonderful. I agree. It's a great great idea and if you do i'll be listening that's for darn yes, sure I'll get, and i'll be like you know why i'm on this show exactly <laughs> emotions as kids good as adults bad you talked a lot about this in some of your appearances i have often said and this is because i also have an improvisational theater background that the reason improvisers play as adults is because they always believe they should never stop playing, that it's okay to play as adults. Why do we stop now? I think the same thing goes for emotions. Although there's some of us 
meaning me, who never stopped being emotional because I had a dad who showed emotion because I think emotion mirrors passion. Passion is how much you care about something. And if you don't show that, then you are either hiding something or you're ashamed of something. So why do you think men are told that emotions are not as good as they grow up as they were when they were kids? So you've done your research. You already know what I'm going to say, but I have to say it because I, this was this, probably the single most illuminating um, piece of research that I found as a woman while reporting this. Um, it came up in the friendship chapter. And uh, I had a lot of men. I, so I'll just say that that chapter, I, I was never like, ooh, I'm so excited to write about male friendship. Like that thought never occurred to me. But I had to write it because I had a lot of men who wrote in saying, listen, I've got a friend, we've all got that friend who says some like sexist, racist stuff. And like, we used to just like, kind of like ignore him and like laugh it off. But now with everything going on, like, I don't want to do that. It doesn't feel like that's okay. But I also don't really know how to call out my friend without losing him or having him turn around on me and be like, what, are you perfect? So this question came in in different forms enough so that I could tell it was really weighing on men across the country. And what's, what's under that is like, okay, this banter between men, uh, they call it locker room talk. And that became quite popular with our the president who's about to exit. Um, so why do men do locker room talk? What is that about? And there's a reason. So I, the reason that men do locker room talk I, is because that is the currency with which men are allowed to converse. And that doesn't really make sense to women because there are very few women on this planet who feel like they're not allowed to be honest with each other. Um, and there's a reason why. So I talked to Niobe Way, who's, who's a researcher of 30 years of male adolescence. And she told me that when little girls and little boys are on the playground, they form friendships in the same exact way. They're hugging each other, they're kissing each other, they're whispering in each other's ears, telling each other all of their secrets. And then at that exact age, little boys start getting policed by their siblings, their parents, their teachers. No, 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 boys don't do that. Stop, stop. Don't hug your friend like that. Don't kiss your friend like that. Get on the field. Girls do that kind of thing, okay? You're a boy, play sports. Mm. And in theory, it doesn't seem that bad. I mean, uh, kids are resilient. What's wrong with sports? But what really happens is that girls are encouraged to explore their deep emotional interiors from a young age and not only explore it, they're encouraged to talk about their emotions. And what we know is that verbalization is a critical part of human cognition. And so if you don't talk about your emotions, 
over the years, the compounded effect is that you forget you have them. Mm-hmm. And so for any women listening who've been in a heterosexual relationship, I'm sure this scene will sound very familiar to you. When you have a fight with your male partner and you look at him and you say, just tell me what you're feeling. And your guy is going to look back at you like a deer in headlights, like, uh, and you are like, oh my God, we don't connect. He doesn't even know. Like, I'm just, just tell me what you're feeling. And a guy is probably thinking like, back the fuck off. I like, stop pressuring me. I don't know what I'm feeling. And a woman can't relate to that because for years, decades, she's been in touch with her emotions and she's communicated Mm -hmm. them and men have not. And the only sidebar, the only emotion we do allow men to have is anger. Mm. It's rage. If you find a man who giggles, not in the man box. If you find a man who cries, not in the man box. If you find a man who's too happy, not in the man box. So why do men do locker room talk? Because we don't let them talk about anything else except for these like really just like superficial surface level stuff. Um, And that is why and how emotions for men get trained out of you. Does that sound, so you had a very different upbringing, but does that resonate for you? I am not in the man box in any way. You are not in the man box. (laughs) I am so far away from it. Let me put the emotion and the man and women thinking in a different perspective. And I'm going to go back to improv. Yes. It is said that male improvisers and female improvisers approach a scene in two different ways. Men get their suggestion, get their problem, and go straight for the solution. Action, 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 solution. Okay. Women get their suggestion, get their problem, and move forward and stop and look at the entire picture around them. The colors, the emotions the obstacles that may be there or the ones that could be ahead. It's a big picture thought instead of tunnel vision. And if you ever watch male improvisers and female improvisers on the same stage, you will see that the color is added so much by the female improvisers while the male improvisers just want to get it done. That's so interesting. So when you talk about that emotion, yes, if a male can understand what this big picture is, and I have mentioned this on the show so many times that I've had, and I'm very much a straight male, I'm 57 years old, very much set in my kind ways, but I've been told by two therapists that I have an androgynous mind. How interesting. That I tend to think more of a like a female than a male. Yes. In the way I approach things, leading one of my very good gay friends to say, You're the gayest thinking straight man I've ever known. Yes. Yes. 
This has also led to me having very, very close female friendships. Yes. And very few close male friendships. But the thing is, when you have female friendships, that always leads to the other side of it, which are the other females going, well, why do you have so many female friends? Provides an interesting conundrum, doesn't it, Cleo? You know, I would say, though, like, I understand, I understand that base instinct to be like, why do you have so many female friends? What's going on there? But I feel like just a moment of reflection would say you're probably not shipping all of them like if you were I guess I'm guessing you would own that but rather that for a man to have so many intact female friendships like he must be really vulnerable really good at communicating really thoughtful available um so sorry that that provides a conundrum also again (laughs) maybe not the person for you Mm-hmm. I know that we only have a few minutes left, and I did promise someone by the name of Casey Carter, who has been oh. a guest on this show, and she wanted me to read this to you on the show. Hi, Cleo. I was thrilled when John said he was going to be interviewing you. I just had to take this opportunity to send a note. Lorenzo and I are huge fans of you and your work. Modern manhood is the start of conversations overdue. It opens the door to understanding what a good man looks like and how men see themselves. Your book is not only important for today's man, but for the women having to navigate through the sometimes murky pool of men. As a mother of a young black man, I'm not only teaching him lessons to save his life, I'm training him to be a man a mother could be proud of. As a relationship expert, I'm spending a lot of time teaching communication and understanding of self. There can never be enough dialogue on this topic, and I hope your book leads to more. Thank you for your amazing work and hope to meet post-COVID-19 and wish you continued success. XOXOXO, Casey. Ah, oh my gosh. She's a triple threat. I have to, she, I had a massively embarrassing Twitter technology breakdown last week. And Lorenzo was like, oh, she does this stuff all the time. It's so embarrassing to, I'm like, you know, anyway, I have to reach out to her. She's also wonderful. And that kind of note makes me tear up a little. So lovely to hear. Well, Casey has become a friend and I have been so honored by her friendship and It's amazing what this podcast has led to for me in not only opening up my network for people that I've been interviewing, but opening up my network for people that I've actually formed connections with. And I've been very blessed in that. So I appreciate Casey. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I I read that to you. So what is next for Cleo Stiller? Well... Closing on an options deal to develop the book into a show. Um, Of course, that's always a long shot and could get torpedoed at any point. So TBD, but ideally you'll see something on Netflix or HBO. Um, I would love that. And then um, I'm continuing the work with the book. So basically 
you know, this, what started as sort of like a book press tour has become so much more. I've started um, doing corporate workshops. So like if anyone is listening and you're thinking, huh, yeah, this dynamic on my team, I wanna talk more about that. I do corporate workshops. Um, I'm working with people one-on-one to help them develop projects um, that I'm mission aligned with, um, can help with branding. Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know it would happen with the book. Like I knew it was a good idea, but it really has just kind of become a life of its own. And so um, I think we'll see 2021 is going to be like modern, you know, and then people like COVID and dating and work and the changing work sphere and the election. So, you know, people are like, there's a sequel in there somewhere. I don't know. Um, stay tuned. I'm pretty sure there's a sequel in there somewhere. Yes, for sure. Cleo, it has been an absolute honor having you on the show. I hope you enjoyed it half as much as I did. It's just, it has been an absolute blast. And I thank you for taking the time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really did have a wonderful time. I'm going to share a little behind the scenes information with you all. Many times we spend a good two or three hours editing an episode of this show because we want to eliminate some of the repetitive things or stumbles. This was the first time the conversation was so on point that we didn't have to do any editing other than adding the open, the close, and the promos. That speaks to how amazing a person Cleo is. Next week, it's time to feel sexy again with author and life coach Erica Lemke Pembroke, the author of feel sexy again. It's a great conversation of how you get what you want, even if you're not feeling as young as you used to be. No matter the age, great information on tap beginning next Tuesday. I'd love to hear from you. You can write me at john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. And now that we are on Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Stitcher, Tune in and Google, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us. And you notice I didn't say please give us a five-star review because we have to earn those, and I hope we did. And while you're there, check out the archives for great interviews with guests like Lexi Silver, Lady Pym, Christina Carter, Nisa Nevers, Tara Indiana, and Jane Boone, and our amazing guests of Diversity December to find out what they and other wonderful humans want. And that will lower the curtain on this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. This is John, aka Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram. And for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.